Welcome to the Sideline Live podcast. Subscribe for more episodes and follow our social media at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Warwick. Daniel is an SNC coach and director of training at Vibe Fitness Lakeshore in Canada. We had an interesting discussion about high performance versus high performing and his role as an SNC coach with the underage Irish international basketball squad. Hi Daniel, thanks a million for coming on the podcast. No problem at all, thanks for having me. So can you give a little bit of background uh, for the listeners uh, and who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So uh, anyone who doesn't know me, and I'm sure the majority of people won't know who I am, that's pretty uh, straightforward. Uh, I'm an SNC coach or a rehab specialist, personal trainer, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, I think everyone's kind of a hybrid coach these days anyway. Yeah. Um, I have an MSc in coaching and exercise science, so BSc in LIT, from LIT in strength and conditioning. Um, most recently, you know, in the kind of SNC side of the world, I was very much involved in basketball, pretty much from uh, every level, all the way up from schools right up to the international teams. And I'm sure we'll get into that. In most recent years, I moved to Toronto in, God, 2019, I guess now. It uh, feels a lot longer, obviously, because, you know, 2020 was not exactly <laughs> a year to live in a city. Um, yeah. uh, since then, I've kind of come over to work over here in more the commercial side of things, because obviously it's more financially viable to do that than to stay in amateur sports in, in Ireland. Um, and since then, kind of moved into like a running a gym over here, what we call a, uh, a role is called a director or a training role. If, if that means anything to anybody, it's basically hiring, firing, continual education, overlooking okay. training of all the people. Uh, I was born in England, hence the dodgy accent, even though I spent the majority of my life in Ireland. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. I moved to Ireland when I was about eight years old and went to college, worked in performance and then moved over here. And that's pretty much my story. Deadly. Uh, what sparked you to kind of do, th- to take that pathway in college and get involved in teams and SNC? Yeah, it's a good question. I uh, When I moved over from England to Ireland, uh, they put me in the same, I think my mum put me in the same class as my brother, so we wouldn't be alone, but I was a year ahead. So I finished my leaving cert at 16. And oh, I had okay. no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. I had no clue whatsoever. So at 16, I was really interested in sports, really interested in training. And it kind of came from there. Um, I took one year out. I actually wanted to be a teacher originally and then I realized that I didn't enjoy school or kids so I was like maybe <laughs> maybe teacher ain't the best idea maybe for not. me <laughs> no, no. Um, and so yeah I went into LIT and never really looked back from there um generally I, I just wanted to do something that I thought I'd enjoy doing I didn't realize how much of a struggle being an SC coach is at the time you think <laughs> yeah, you yeah. think when you're going into it you're going to be oh this is going to be amazing but uh, it's a quite a any SC coach you'll talk to it's a definitely yeah. an uphill slog but that's pretty yeah. much it I was I was very young right at 16 you don't know what you want to do um, but uh, yeah that's why I went into it and just a basic interest in sport and training people class and what was the undergrad in it was Limerick what what, what course in, was that it's LIT Furless and Tipperary so it's a strength oh, conditioning sorry. course yeah oh, yeah so good. um it's only it's only about six years seven years old now I guess when did I okay, graduate yeah because I, have, I haven't really heard of them before yeah so I'm trying to think um I think it started, I graduated in 2017. That was the third year of it. So it must have started around 2011, 12, I guess, maybe. Okay. Um, okay. But they produced quite a lot of good coaches. It's an amazing facility. Um, really? And of okay. course, the course is getting better and better. Maybe we didn't get the best of it because it was a yeah. new course. And yeah. you can see, I, I always keep an eye on the modules that they do now and how that all works out. And it does seem to be getting better and better and better. So that's something I wish maybe I'd gone now rather than then but yeah, you know, rather okay. than being in the teasing out phase but yeah that's where that's where I end up doing my undergrad anyway 
Yeah. And did you get the the chance to go in with teams then during your undergrad? Is that kind of how you got involved with basketball? Ireland? Yeah, I made some big mistakes in how much I decided I wanted to do in my oh, undergrad. Right. <laughs> Honestly, I don't I to this day will never be able to explain how it happened. But I went from my third year of my undergrad working with a, a high school or secondary school, sorry, too long in North America now, um, a high school basketball team. And then within about a year and a half, I had two international women's teams oh, right. okay. in my final year of college and as well as doing my dissertation. And oh, oh, I was drowning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I worked in a ton of sports. Yeah, I worked in uh, rugby. Did I work in rugby? No, I didn't work in rugby. Rugby's one of the only ones I didn't work in. Mm. I worked in, I worked with rugby players, but not actually in any team setting. I worked in some Gaelic football, which didn't, it was okay. I don't think my accent went over crazy well, um, to be honest uh worked in some athletics and then we all had placement in our third year of college so we was in a kind of gym set up then training athletes out of that but yeah like okay. you, you get a good you know there is a lot that's, that's the best thing about you know having amateur sports is they are looking for coaches that don't cost that yeah. much money so when you're an undergrad you can get in and get some roles going if you needed to you know definitely and, and how did you get involved then with the with the basketball ireland squad uh it's a good good question and we'll probably get into like you know what it all means in relation to i don't know we're going to talk about performance today but i, I like I, I started uh my old woodwork teacher was a big basketball um coach that really enjoyed it and it was quite high level still to this day even though it was a school team one of the yeah. highest level coaches i've worked with in in how right. he explains and understands and you know relates to, to the kids he's working with and that's probably the teacher in him as well right um, yeah so he was i went and worked with him for a year then he got a job as an interregional coach when we did the interregionals with him. And then I got some work at one of the interregional tournaments, I think 2016, 17, I guess now. I can't remember exactly. Carl okay. uh, Kilbride, who was the head coach of the un- Irish under 15 women's team at the time, came over and asked me, Would I like to interview me and my brothers? Also, an SNC coach. So we did that one together. Uh, oh, from very working good. with Carl, I ended up working with Maeve Coleman. I don't know if you know who Maeve is. She's a yeah. she's a female um, coach, um, and she was taking the Irish under twenty women's team. So I ended up doing that, and yeah, it all kind of rolled over from there. A lot of luck, an awful lot of luck, right place, right time kind of thing. Um, yeah. uh, and probably, being perfectly honest, probably too much too soon. As okay. a, as a, I was I was twenty one years old coaching an Irish under twenty female basketball team, yeah. um, which obviously isn't ideal uh, like you you know you, you, I, I didn't have the experience really I probably needed but the only way to get experience is by doing those things right so exactly yeah um, absolutely so that's kind of that's how it kind of rolled out very good and what was that like working with your brother then how'd you find uh, out yeah we're good <laughs> uh, it's good you know what You're still on speaking terms <laughs> just about just about it's funny uh he moved to sydney and he does the pretty much the exact same job i do here in toronto oh, but class. he just does it on the other side of the world yeah um, but there, there is a little bit of a it's a little bit beautiful being able to argue with someone and realize that, you know, like you can really hash things out and go, look, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, it can also definitely not be great either. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah but, definitely. Um, his girlfriend as well, she gave her a mention. She was part of the team as well. We're okay. actually a, a pretty, yeah, like they were a family of coaches. It seems that way now, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, uh, it was, it's like there's pros and cons to everything, right? But um, yeah, it, it, it worked well because we were able to, if we had any disagreements, you know, you can't fall out of your brother forever, right? So it's yeah, that's it. <laughs> and how did you find that that first kind of experience working with that under twenty team? Yeah, I found the under twenty team tough, to be honest. Okay. Uh, mostly because I didn't have the, you know, you can have the knowledge, you you can be in in finishing your final year, or you can understand how 
you know physical attributes work and you know aero capacity and all these yeah. kind of things but it's the kind of thinking on your feet that you need more than most right it's like yeah. a um it, you can you can kind of you can get away with a lot by faking it till you make it you know um but we went to Israel right <laughs> um, for the European championships was it's a long way from home to go for your first two weeks abroad to the kind of a big like I said a European championship and little things like I always talk about the example of we were doing anything we can to get the girls recovered day by day and uh, we didn't we had quite good facilities but we didn't have amazing facilities and we were using kind of something simple like ice baths in the evening okay but because it was like 50 degrees over there you'd have to run the bath at like 10 a.m in the morning for the, the water not to be coming out boiling hot right and you couldn't get enough ice to get the water <laughs> cold <laughs> like it's all these things that you just I should have just scrapped it right but I, I pushed through with it it took so much of my time you know oh um, god there's all these little things you learn while you're away but yeah. honestly um yeah honestly it was a great experience and I'm, I'm really glad I'd done it um I maybe wish I'd done it a couple of years later but then that led, led on to uh, honestly helping me do a better job and without sound arrogant like a slightly better job with a with the next team with Carl because yeah. Carl's team was a two-year program okay. and my team was a six months program maybe yeah um so by the time my second Europeans came around I got actual experience of what was going to go on and it was a lot easier at that point you know yeah yeah exactly no that's that's kind of with anything really you could you could put that down to and I always find you could have all the theoretical knowledge but it's putting that into practice is sometimes the hardest bit like you think you know like you might know everything but if you can't put that into practice and like take into account like the fact that in Israel the water is really hot you know what I mean like that's that's little things that you're never going to learn in college like you know what I mean Mm-hmm. oh for sure for sure and like it'll go on to i know we're gonna like to like, we're gonna talk about high performance and we'll go on to that in a minute and that, there's a lot of stories i can tell you about that that go into what high performance actually is um and whether it really exists at amateur level or it doesn't exist at amateur level and it's little things yeah. like that right um yeah but yeah for sure we'll get into all that yeah i want to ask about before we get in before we move on to that was you mentioned there was three years coaching yeah what was the did you was there much benefit having it more of you in or would have been sure for sure yeah. and okay. it's it, it i'll i'll it will literally go into everything i'm going to talk about a little bit um i i honestly that the you know they say many hands make light work right um, yeah. and that's extremely true when you're dealing with something as fragile as an athlete right mm, um absolutely or an absolute bunch of athletes right and um yeah, like if you can have someone who, you know, if you have three coaches that can put in five hours a week each, that's 15 hours rather than the one coach who, first of all, five hours that are a fresher approach than the one coach who puts in 15 hours a week or whatever like that. And you got to remember, like, in most sports in Ireland, it's it's all amateur for the most part, if you're not, unless you're maybe at a few decent level soccer teams or the, the four provinces in rugby, right? Um, mm-hmm. They are very good and they are probably the closest to, you know, a high performance kind of setup that you're going to see in Ireland. Uh, so you have to find ways of at least trying to, you know, achieve that somehow. And men, like, I mean, I think the first day I sat down with Carl or the first training session, there was, and then we'll get into this again in a minute, but there was mm. you know, seven or eight, nine, 10 coaches there and 36 athletes. Um, so you're dealing with 36 athletes that all need, not maybe the most individual approach at 15 years old, but they also need fresh eyes and people looking over them and understanding what they need to do to mm. progress yeah if that makes sense yeah no it does and what when we're going to we're going to get into that performance bit now do you have a specific 
definition of high performance um i i do and i don't right okay. <laughs> okay. which is a, a literally i could give you the oxford dictionary uh, of a high performance organization which is just like an organization that achieves results that exceedingly better than those of its peer group and they yeah. say it's over like a period of time and they say it's by focusing on a disciplined way and what really matters that organization yeah or i could say to you it's just performing at the highest level right it's um it's either or right yeah but, what under what underpins that is and what people forget is that you have to try to develop a high performance culture and honestly i don't think i've ever really worked in a very sustainable high performance culture and why that is my opinion anyway and my opinion could mean absolutely nothing and i maybe shouldn't swear on this but i probably will a little bit and i apologize in, in, okay. in, in beforehand but um like, uh, uh, like for me like a high performance instructor is you know how can you achieve results for like a cost-effective manner which is sustainable and repeatable at like every level of a pathway how can you do that? Because if you can't do that, then you aren't developing high performance culture. You can have a very high performing culture. And I think that's exactly what HE Basketball Island is. Some very, very good results. And I don't, I'm not the biggest GA head. I don't know a whole lot, but I'm sure there's some aspects of teams that achieve well and that maybe could do it for a year or two, but not sustain it. Right. And I think one of the, for me, one of the most key words there is like a cost effective manner right? Mm. Because if it's not a cost effective, it will never be sustainable and it will never be repeatable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely with them, because there's obviously big conversations around funding with Basketball Ireland, like obviously there's issues there and they don't have the resources due to sponsorship and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Uh, I mean, I've actually, to be honest, a little bit of me has stayed away from everything last year. Um, It's like, I've still been working with majority athletes that I used to work with and kind of doing what I can, but I've I've Mm. kind of turned a blind. Once I left the organization, I kind of want to take a little bit of a blind eye and just kind of take a separation from it. Because it was a great time, but like I wanted to move on and not, you know, not dwell on the past, right? Um, But I I think if you're gonna, like you talk about resources, right? And funding, you have to understand what resources you need right mm-hmm. so what actually affects the performance and we'll get into i'll probably in a minute get into about how you measure performance but you need to figure out what roles you need so what people you need so do you need a physio do you need a nutritionist do you need a psychologist would you need a head coach an assistant coach and two skills coaches do you need an snc coach yes you do can you afford it no so how how do you make that work well that goes back to what we said a minute ago do we get free snc coaches and probably snc coaches are the only ones that will probably have to put in the highest amount of effort into looking after the, the the athletes at the level because the nutritionists will do that of course but it's more you know implementation of, of strategies whereas a lot of times when it comes to an SC coach the main role of you is to monitor their load pretty much to make sure they're not over training under training make sure they're going to be able to sustain the load of yeah. the tournament or game or whatever it is the season um so you, how how can you do that right so you need to find some kind of way of convincing people and that's what it really is is convincing people to give up a lot of their time for not a lot of their money and uh do it year after year and have some kind of structure set up um it's basically putting together a puzzle i don't know if you've ever seen it as a thing called like the performance puzzle and it breaks off into all different things and then you have one slide and it breaks off again into another slide and then more pieces more pieces more pieces more pieces and it ends up with just a circle and uh like you know say 40 pieces coming out of it it's solving that puzzle right it's putting that back together yeah now can you can you do that with no money probably not right honestly um so then you go to what is high performance versus high performing does that make sense so that's why i say there's maybe no you can have your oxford dictionary definition of it but maybe it doesn't really exist in some of the sports that we watch in ireland if that makes sense okay yeah no it does and how do you 
like you obviously need the resources <clears throat> to cultivate high performance but how do you when you potentially don't have those resources how do you bring that to the players and get that buy-in because you could have you could try like you could have a team that that are sitting in front of you that want nothing to do with this and you mm. could have all the resources in the world but that doesn't matter because you don't have the buy-in yeah yeah you beg borrow and steal for buying that's what i always say I like um, that. yeah um, <laughs> and you know it's always the one third rule like i've never been in a team where every single player has wanted to be part of it i've never been in a team where every single player hasn't wanted to be part of it you always have a third that are very keenly interested you always have a third that will be yeah yeah fuck it i'll do it and a third that like you know you have to really work hard on um and a thing is like i mean every coach i talk to it's very similar like they always you know an athlete doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Mm. And that might be, you might have more time to develop the relationships with, with athletes as they grow up and underage levels than you maybe do at a uh, senior level. But you still have to take that approach as, well, if I'm asking you to do all this for me, the least I could do is put an equal, if not more effort. But they might not always see that, right? So it's, yeah. it's a fine line. It takes time. You know, you can come in and knock the socks off people with intelligence but if you, you could be the smartest person to do that presentation at the start of the season, everyone's like, this is amazing. But then if you're not getting back to them when they're emailing you and you're not providing their programs on time or you're not giving them feedback on what they need feedback on, then you lose, they, they're like, well, this guy doesn't really give a shit, you know? Yeah. And that's, buy-in yeah. is the number one thing in any aspect of anything, right? Um, mm. And that's, yeah, you, you, you know, like I, like I said, if they know how much you care, then, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to get buy-in for sure. Definitely. And what's that, you mentioned there the first session what like if you kind of mentioned maybe a presentation what do you do in that first session with your athletes like in yeah. terms of the snc do you kind of show them the plan of what we're going to do and then what we're going to measure it really depends on the team you're with right okay. so i can give you examples uh so gaelic senior teams that come in and the, the head coach wants you to lay out a season and i only ever program about four weeks at a time anyway like, to be honest uh, you, the, like life comes at you fast when, you, when you're an athlete so yeah. Uh, yeah you can plan out everything um and you can have a nice what they call like a periodized plan that's all these different colors and you might never look at never look at it again right yeah <laughs> um, absolutely <laughs> uh, but yeah so i i can i can only really go to what what i've done right i, I mean so when Usually the, the, the first session on the Irish on the, oh, I'd say 15s, I guess it was 2017 or whatever like that. Um, Carl brought all the parents into the room because uh, he understood that the parents buy-in was as, as important as the kids right at that age. Mm. And it, every every aspect of the team, so the physio, nutritionist, SNC, head coach, skills coach, got up and did a little talk about what we were going to be requiring from not only the athletes, but from the players. Now, did we go into detail of block, block, block? No. Uh, but I have done that too. I've gone into uh, gone into teams. Let me think. I think the, yeah, the Gaelic football team, I guess, was the best one, and laid out the presentation of what I wanted week by week by week. And they're both different approaches. Yeah. But once again, it just comes back to trying to gain an understanding on how to buy, get buy in, um, and showing that you are willing to put in the effort if they're willing to put in the effort. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. And I suppose head like when you're doing because I listened to that episode with Carl and you were saying the testing. What are you yeah. testing for with the athletes? Is that just measuring their strength levels or and their movement or? So yeah, there's a that's a that's a really good question because it once again you're gonna you're gonna hate me, but it depends, it, right? It depends, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, everything <laughs> depends. Uh, if I could, it should have said it shouldn't have said S and C coach for my degree. It should have said it depends. Um, but yeah, like we would measure what we thought 
uh, we would do a battery of tests, right? We would measure what we thought was needed to improve the athlete's physical attributes. Now, does mm -hmm. that mean that actually improve their performance? Probably not, right? Okay. But we want to set certain standards for them, whether it be aerobically, whether it be with a, a power output, whether it be a strength test, whether it be, you know, um, so a really good example of this is, so you, there's a thing called a functional movement screen, which is mm -hmm. a, a movement-based test and everyone loves it, hates it, whatever you want to do with it. Um, everyone says it can you know there used to be always thinking oh i can predict injury and all this and then no, i can't right it, it generally can't but uh we, we can't I predict still... if someone's gonna slam into you like <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> right you know and uh but i still use aspects of that because i'm taking an under 15 team that needs to learn how so one of them's an overhead squat right one yeah. of them's an inline lunge one of them's some kind of hip hinge or whatever right yeah uh, i think i've actually done one of them before actually so yeah, yeah, probably, I, think, yeah. I know what you're saying yeah um, and people can lie to you <laughs> like you can lie to coaches and be like you know if you don't get better at this test then you know you're going to get injured or I can say well you know we're doing this test because I only see you as an Irish athlete every six weeks maybe every month right yeah. so I need to make sure first of all is a good indication that, to me that you're doing your programming and that yeah. you're learning how to move better because uh, we all know that strength levels can help in, in decreasing injury risk can it get, prevent injuries nothing can prevent an injury but um mm if you're learning teaching them the basic movement patterns that they need at an early age, it's only going to stand to them over time as they get older. And I think I did a, a podcast on high performance. I think it actually might have been with my brother, to be honest. Um, and we talked about, well, why were we testing? And this is what we used to do whenever we would pick the test we would do. Well, if we're trying to develop some kind of high performance, performing, performing infrastructure and culture, then we need to, first of all, look like what's it going to look like for them in the future, right? It has to be some kind of long-term planning. So what do they need to be able to do? Well, they need to be able to sprint. So we need to, we need to measure their sprint speeds. We need to be able to understand how aerobically fit they need to, to first of all, to perform at the level that we need them to perform at. But long-term, yeah. if you're going to take, and this is a big thing going back to comparing it to, and I'm you know, aspiring going back and forth a little bit, but comparing it to my under 20 team that I took, none of them had ever really done fitness testing before, mm. right? At that level. So we're coming at the very basic level of under 15s, teaching them how to test. So what do I think are the, are the tests that we, we use? Um, and now that there's a big report I've done and it lays out exactly why we did every test and you can go into detail and that's just my opinion on it. Um, you know, a counter movement jump, a, a squat jump leading up to a reactive strength index. Um, the only what we never did uh, was like actual strength testing or anything like that because we didn't have the facilities and it okay. wasn't sustainable and it wasn't repeatable. So if it's yeah. not, you know, I, I tested, I think on, I think maybe 10 to 15 different courts and 15 halls over the years I worked at Basketball Island, never really the same one twice. I think the only one I ever did twice, maybe uh, St. David's out on Artane, because that's where Cholester uh, played or trained, and that's where we had access to with Carp. Yeah. Um, but if it's not, like I said, if it's not sustainable and repeatable, then is it a waste of time to, to test something that you're not going to be able to test over and over again and actually see any logical progression on? Probably. So that's okay. how you pick your tests, right? Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be picked at the same at every level as well, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Sure, there's no point in you getting them into the gym, doing trap bar deadlifts and all these <laughs> things that if you're never going to go to the gym again, like, well, that's just yeah. a waste of 20 minutes, or not 20 minutes, longer, that they could have done on the court and done something else. Right, 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 right. Of course, yeah, yeah you're dead right. You're dead right. Yeah, I'm interested as well, because you put it down to, when you worked with that under-20 team, you put it down to maybe lack of knowledge and experience, but what I can hear from, you obviously gained from that experience, but what I'm listening to when you're talking about the number 15 team was you had longer with them. So it sounds like that relationship would have had another, like there would have been another reason for your 
success with them if you know what i mean and kind of getting on better with them because you had longer with that with those time time always helps right um i mean actually time might not always help if you're not if you're not (laughs) um you know like uh, i mean i think i've been at some teams where there's a real clash of uh within you know internal leadership who's the head coach who's the assistant coach and the more time spent in that environment kills it but if you're in a uh, like a, a high performing culture like Carl did a really good job of setting up then yeah you know you, you you're gonna everyone's cohesive and everyone plans together which is kind of putting together that puzzle then yeah obviously more time you have over two years rather than six months then you would hope you know otherwise it, you would hope that you're doing a better job right yeah. um, otherwise it's probably malpractice to be honest yeah yeah and I listened I mentioned that before I listened to that episode with Carl and mm. I was really interested in measuring performance on the court because mm. that's something it, i know in gea it's all about the gps trackers who did who got the did he get his kilometers in did he get the 7k whatever it is but talk us through that you used the heart rate monitors was it yeah yeah and look <laughs> you know gps units are good for some things but yeah. like you know give you what you said there he got his kilometers in yeah and he worked I know. really hard yeah. right oh, you've heard, he might have been out of position more exactly you might have had a terrible game right so yeah. you have you, when you're measuring any kind of performance you have objective measures of performance which is yeah. basically the result right <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean yeah. at the end of the day did we achieve what we wanted to achieve it might not be winning but did we only lose by 10 points did we win the final quarter and then you have yeah. submetric subjective measure performance which is basically improvement so yeah. how do you measure that well i don't know if you know i'm sure you've you've had a lot of people on your podcast now like a key performance indicator right so a kpi yeah. you start with that and you reverse engineer back from that right so mm-hmm. What do we think? And to be honest, if I was to tell you exactly what they were two years ago, I can't really remember. It's been quite a okay. long time. <laughs> no <worries. laughs> If I'm being honest, no I maybe should have looked that up before. I have them, I have them somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like whether, whether it was, you know, what's going to actually affect their performance? Well, being better at their sport, right? That's mm-hmm. what's going to affect the performance. Having, having the ability to be efficient of movement is also really important for basketball. So we need to teach them how to do that over a two-year period. But do, do, do you have any really, like we just talked about earlier, like, can you prevent an injury? No. Can you make someone have a good game? No. But can you put the tools in place to at least measure something objectively, like the heart rate stuff? So we would, we would use that kind of on the sideline to see how long certain players were certain standing in certain zones, spending, sorry, in certain zones, and then maybe give a little tap down the bench, go, she might start to fatigue in a little bit why don't we why don't okay. we put her off um, so it was live then you'd you yeah, would give yeah, live have, feedback have the, uh, okay. on the, and like you know once again experience right sometimes you know a player they're all laid out and a player might put on the wrong heart rate monitor that's not oh no game. So <laughs> you're like, why the fuck is a player who's sitting on the bench at like 80 percent right now you know that, that stuff you've got to figure out figure out on the, on the, oh, on the fly as well but yeah, yeah i mean like you'd have certain ideas and they're just ideas right yeah. You have certain ideas for um, for certain players or what you think maybe is sustainable for them at a period of time. And now yeah. none of that can work if you don't have the, the skillful players that you can rotate in and out, right? So if you have only five good players and you don't have anyone else to bring on, it all doesn't make any difference because you can't afford to take those players off the court, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah, if yeah. you have if you have enough in every position that you can rotate, and that's what we used to try to do with the heart rate monitors. And then give you an example, you know, the, there's so many different measures. We, we, we were huge on monitoring and recovery strategies for our, for our players. And um, I know this is more meant to be more of a performance podcast and getting maybe into the SNC side too much, but um, that that for me, using that heart rate monitor to monitor, like, sorry, the heart rate monitors, Jesus, to monitor the, the load of the game. So we have them subjectively 
you know, figure out how hard it was out of 10, how are they feeling? And they'd go see the physio and get some subjective data for that, but also how many minutes they spend in certain zones. And that can also be discredited in research and or credited, but it's just giving me more information that I can then, okay, well, this person needs a certain recovery strategy the next day, rather than this person maybe actually can lay off. So who gets in the normal tech boots first? How can you do that? Okay. Who, had, who had the highest score? Who played? Yeah. And it nearly always correlates with how hard they found it out of 10 and who played the most minutes. But then you can at least back it up with some kind of internal physiological response of their heart, right? Okay. Um, but, and and do they, well, sorry to interrupt, Is do you, did, did they score it out of 10? Was that what you were saying there? So they would score their, like, um, how hard the game was out of 10 for themselves after every okay. game. Okay. Um, yeah, like a little form kind of thing, was it? Yeah, yeah. And the, the forms kind of go out the window at some point. You start asking questions and, and write it down in your hand. Uh, like, uh, what what we would do is we would weigh our players pre and post. Um, really? Okay, right. To see. Yeah to see if they had lost sufficient or whatever, how much weight they had lost or they hadn't lost. And then that gave us an indication of maybe they weren't doing the best job of hydrating during the game yeah. or how much they have to rehydrate. And that's, I know you had the uh, Nutri-Kate was, Kate uh, McDade was our nutritionist. Yeah. Um, so she would have laid out all that stuff for them. We okay. would just take the data and, and refer it back there. I think Kate right. was one of your first guests, right? I think. Yeah, she was. She was the first guest, second episode. But yeah, no, okay. that's, I really, yeah. I, that's really interesting. Did you ever hear of, um, now there was a lot of, people thinking it was absolute spoof but um Le- they did that for lebron or something but okay. he was heavier after the yeah. game or something ridiculous i don't know what hey, you think the body that. reacts it in in loads of ways right you yeah. know it like I, i've seen that i've seen that quite a bit in players be heavier when they're just constantly sipping and maybe not the yeah. game's a little bit easier for them you know um i don't like the <laughs> like you got to take into consideration you want them to weigh in their the kit pre and post right but it yeah. could be completely drenched in sweat. In yeah, exactly. Run, right. You know, yeah. so, you know, if uh, that's also another aspect of it, but that like going back to, that's when we would ask them how hard the game was out of 10. Right. So maybe like that might be 10, 15 minutes after the game, you kind of want to usually get it within a half hour. So they'd come in uh, either like, it depends, right. Generally would always want to uh, weigh them before they've restarted drinking water. Okay. Right? So they're not, but uh, that's not always the way it goes. And that's, yeah. that's just learning on the job and being on the fly. If Kyle comes in with some really important points that he needs to tell them straight after the game, good or bad, I'm not going to go, hold on a second, Kyle. <laughs> you <laughs> can wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Head coach over there, sit down and know your place. Okay? <laughs> We're weighing the players, Kyle, take yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. No, no. But that's, that's, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And would you ask them anything else? Like, would you do any other, like even maybe the next yeah. day, would you ask yeah. them any questions? We were, over the two years, I developed, uh, actually, I don't know if you... Um, who, uh, Mary Carson, who's also a nutritionist who worked in the Irish under 22 and me, um, and a physio at the time, I can't remember, it wasn't the physio we went with, but it was a physio who was working at the time. We set up like a recovery template. Okay. And that would have a bunch of questions and a bunch of nutritional stuff. And did they, were they able to this, 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 and this. And that kind of all went out the window a little bit at Europeans, if I'm okay. being honest. That yeah. was what was done each week leading up for the two years to kind of get them into habit of making sure that they have a recovery point system that they try to hit as many recovery strategies that they have yeah um but yeah so at, at, like it all becomes very subjective and and like you, you know they're sitting in their normal tech boots for half hour the next morning or the, the, the evening or whatever you've got time to talk to them then find out how they're getting on what is sore and then we would do a mobility session nap session and we do a, a monitoring counter movement jump session so we would monitor their power production now that for me not one single part of that could really give me any sustainable information but when i put it all together it at least gave me a better idea than if i didn't have it right okay 
Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. That's yeah. I wouldn't if you don't mind. Actually, I might if yep. you send on that that recovery template. I'd love to see it, even though you didn't yeah, use course, it yeah. at the yeah. European. But that's really interesting. And would like would the players kind of like would they how did they react to that recovery? Because like if you're coming from, let's say like this small club, and then you're in this Irish environment where they have Normatec boots and all this check ins and all these different things. How yeah. did they find? How did they find that that difference in yeah, environment? you got to drip feed it in. It's got to be a little bit at a time. you got to, the first, the we probably made, it was a mistake we probably made at the start. We went with a training app, which was a bit all encompassing. And okay. it, was, it worked, would have worked well, you know, if it mm. was maybe uh, at a higher age group team. But then we actually just ditched out after a couple of months and started just basically doing Excel sheets and send them on on a Saturday morning and the parents and the kid would fit them out on a Sunday evening and send them back. Okay. But yeah, I think... I think the first thing we introduced, obviously, we actually is just monitoring their workload. So how many sessions they did a week, what sessions that was, how long it was, and how hard it was out of ten. And then I gave. I've got two years of data on um, on players every week what they've done, and you can see how high certain people's loads are, how low certain people's loads are. So that's what we started with, and then we were dripping. I would talk to sorry, the psychologist. That's who was also on the recovery template. That's who I forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, you're all good. Pardon. That's what I couldn't remember. But um, so then we drip things that I would talk to Colin. I go, well, when do you think it's a good time to add in this? And what questions would you like on it? Well, then I talk to nutritionists. Well, how much do they know about nutrition yet? Would they even understand some of these questions? Do they do have enough knowledge of what the recovery things they need? Because if you if I'm only seeing them once every six weeks, you're only seeing them once every six weeks. So your presentation is the same as me only seeing them. And you can have, of course, con- constant contact during it, but they also need to have the certain levels of education to take in the data. Um, and they're never not every like there's that one third rule you'll 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 get that one third that will put in all the effort and do it absolutely and you know what it's probably the only team I've, I've really worked on where maybe that just kind of uh shows how much carl puts into hard work and effort and stuff like that um which are all buzzwords to me i don't know if they all any of it actually really exists uh, but yeah. they were the players that put in the time i would say right to put in the time and because it has to be less than 10 minutes to fill out a form of ways a kid won't do it an athlete an adult won't do it at the end of the day right you know yeah, has definitely. to be like everything has to be within 10 minutes right yeah <laughs> um so and uh, people who gave us the most data and we were able to relay that back to everyone else they kind of end up being the final 12 that made it to europeans to be honest bar maybe an exception of one or two um, yeah which is it's always it's, an exception it's like the way i i think of it is uh, or, or i don't know if you heard the quote the way you do one thing is the way you do everything yeah 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 I just want to ask you, I'm going to go back to the heart rate monitors, but I want to ask there, you mentioned, what were the, what was that role of this, the psychologist in terms of those questions? What did he want added in? Do you know what? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you don't, <laughs> like, you don't know, do you? <laughs> no, I, I have, I used it, I've used it for years, but he would okay. want to know their, their mood state, right? Um, I can't yeah. remember the exact questions, to be honest, uh, okay. because I, he sent them over to me, I fitted them into a point system and I actually gave them probably the most, uh, it was over out of a hundred points. I think they would have had the highest points so i think they would have maybe 40 of the points were going to psychology and 30 and 30 nutrition snc questions or recovery strategies or whatever okay. so he would all about you know did they do their visualization technique did they do this that that whatever did they how was their mood state did anything affect their mood um how yeah. was school right yeah you know, we them under, like, was there something that we're seeing a constant pattern of because that's a big thing of overtraining as well you have you have your workload you have your performance um because it's that big thing, is it overtraining or underperformance, right? Because they're not too, 
they're like they're like love and hate they're not crazy emotions that are very far apart underperformance and overtraining aren't very far apart so yeah um he would he would have used and this is the best of my memory like I said it's been about a year since I was out of it to be yeah, honest yeah. Um, and I've probably in, in preparation I probably should have looked over it no, <laughs> but, uh, no worries no problem um, but yeah it would have been about you know their mood state was anything going on in their life you know how was school were they enjoying schools you know something along those lines in a way way more smart or like you know better worded way of putting it um yeah yeah, yeah most psychologists will always have that right you mentioned their visual visualization yeah. that's since kind of getting into podcasts and starting podcasts that's been really big not yeah. common factor but it just seems like every couple of people just scream about visualization and they yeah, really yeah. enjoy what would those players have done a lot of that or, or have you seen particular it doesn't have to be that squad in particular but I've seen I've seen a lot of it yeah I've seen a lot of it at, at the, the the higher level players for sure mm. um one of, one of the highest level players I ever saw play uh we won't mention names obviously but yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, and I was part of a squad with her she was um we were talking about visualization so I'm guessing at that point there must have been something said within the squad or something practicing with the squad at that point and she yeah. said no I don't do that no I don't do that no I don't do that I would never do that and then a couple minutes before the game she's in the corner visualizing free throws and the yeah. psychologist looks at me and goes, she just doesn't know what it means then. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> Never do that, but two minutes later, you're doing it on the court before you go play a game. So uh, yeah. it, comes, it comes back to that education of it as well, right? But yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of it. And you do see that, right? It's yeah. it's anything you can do to make things a little bit easier, right? Uh, yeah, or, exactly. Or a better standard. Yeah. And would they have used, like I know she was, that particular where you mentioned, she would have been just sitting down, probably eyes closed, doing whatever, listening yeah. to music. Because um, I don't know if you've read Toughness by Jay Billis. It's really good. But he mentioned Steve Kerr. And he, two things mm-hmm. he did was when he was taking a free throw really early on his, in his career, he was in Houston and he hit a really good shot that was like bang on the money, like couldn't have done anything better. And then he throughout his career, then he would, every time he went to free throw, he'd say Houston. So he had that mental trigger mm-hmm. of the visualization. And then as well, before a game, he would watch clips of himself. So then he would kind of like, you know, the way if you see it, you'll do it kind of kind of way. Yeah, yeah, there's a huge thing, right? I mean, I remember we did a lot of sports psychology in, in my master's degree, which was like a coaching science and exercise one, which was very much based a lot more on psychology and stuff like that. We did a lot of things that went straight over my head, if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> like, um, uh, but like the 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 marginal gains you can make in some things versus like a one percent gain versus a ten percent gain. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said for what you can gain in in some psychological stuff mm-hmm. when it comes to visualization and all these kind of things. Um, and we'll, we'll probably like I'm going to talk a bit about that in a minute anyway. But like, they're they're finding ways of improving your performance at the least cost to your body is also yeah. a really good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I like that. It, it doesn't doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, everyone's different, but it doesn't take a whole lot of energy for you to visualize visualize mm. something, you know, rather than having to do that extra bit of aerobic capacity work or alactic work or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I wanted to ask about the heartline monitor because I remember you had a um, it was. It was. It must be in that squad. It was with Carl, and you were mentioning that there was a particular player that maybe wasn't performing to the mm-hmm. level, and the kind of you because you had the data, you could you could sit down with the player, be like, look, like let's say it's me, look, Orly, you know, you're not you're not really pushing yourself, you know, you're not really giving mm-hmm. it your all, like you know, what's going on? Yeah, that's. Uh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Once again, I don't even. I doubt we mentioned na- names because I doubt. No, we I, you, did, you didn't. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't um, even sure which squad it was. 
Yeah, it was definitely, yeah, it would have definitely, uh, and Andrew Gill, it might have been with Andrew Gill, as well. I don't know if you listened it to the It could podcast. have been, yeah, Yeah, because he was part of that squad too. I could be missing, yeah. missing some of the episodes up, yeah. If, if I can't remember it, there's no hope you can remember <laughs> it, uh, what podcast it is. But yeah, you're right, it makes conversations easier when you have data, yeah. right? And it's it's so subjective, even though it's objective data, mm. you just know this player over a period of time, I'd been on multiple all across the world with this player. I'd seen her perform to the, she was a post and very aggressive post. And when she's aggressive and plays at that slightly higher heart rate because she's working harder, she plays better, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen every single time. But I think it, I think it, it, I could be getting the games mixed up, but I think the first game, excellent. And we had a very high heart rate score, you know, in the times that she was on the court, we're really working hard, you know, <laughs> being aggressive, putting herself out there, doing the things she needs to do. And then two bad games. But I can even go back to, it was the, the main source of the data that was easy enough to use was she played really well when we went to Denmark, I think it was, or we went to Copenhagen to play Denmark. And once again, now we had four games at an international standard playing against an international team. And we had more than four games, but that's just what comes to my head. That, or five games, six games, whatever it was, that we can compare and go to, okay, it might not work on everyone, but it seemed to work on her. Okay, well, we know when you put more effort in, you do better. Yeah. Would you not want to do better? It's a sign yeah. you're telling us that you maybe can't put the effort in. And effort, once again, I don't even know if that really word exists. And, you know, it's all, everything depends. Uh, that worked in that instance. She had okay. a really good rest of the tournament and all her rates and zones went up. Um, does that happen all the time? I really doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> does it yeah. Does it help that we I had quite a good relationship and Carl had quite a good relationship with, with that player? Uh, and we did. We had quite a good, it was a very nice squad to be a part of, to be honest, one of my favourite squads of all time. Yeah. Um, Yes, that helped for sure. If you if you if someone has their back up um, against you already, and that can happen, that one third rule that might not work as well. But yeah, that is is that high performance or is that high performing? Because is that sustainable? Is that repeatable? Is it cost effective? Well, the heart rate monitor we got on for about I don't know sixty euro each. We bought the iPad out of pocket. For, um, out of the, we needed we had one anyway. Or like my brother bought one. Um, mm. Does every team can every team afford to get thirty six heart rate monitors? Probably not. But can the final 12 can? Yeah, probably. A bit of fundraising. So that might be sustainable, repeatable. Can you then say over periods of time, we do 10 years of work, we have all these heart rate zones from certain players at certain international tournaments at certain age groups, then we can start comparing back and start to build a profile, an athletic profile for these players. Yes, we can. Is it happening? No. So is it high performance or high performing? Well, yeah. that was a high performing culture was not yeah. a high performance culture. That makes I like sense. that. Yeah, no, I, I like I like the way you're putting that. And you and going back to what you were saying about the player who didn't know they were doing visualization, yeah. uh, education as in like I was saying on another podcast, as a player, sometimes I struggle to be consistent and to give a hundred percent effort every time. That's just me being open and honest with everyone. <laughs> but if let's say, for example, I, I've never worn like a heart rate monitor or I've worn a GPS thing once and that was really interesting because cause a couple of the players could have couple of my teammates did as well so you could see like well that girl actually had an extra not kilometer but she had that extra bit on me oh right okay I need to really put that in but maybe let's say for example I'm just using myself as an example if I wore a heart rate monitor at training and I kind of I did my usual performance geez you know and I'd realize kind of looking at it god I could go an extra bit because I'm still I'm not even not even in the red zone at this stage and I think I'm pushing myself hard like yeah, and that's that's the athlete's mentality, right? Uh, yeah. That might not be the best thing, honestly. Like you know, uh, we'll get like you know, the understanding and education is the most important thing. Yeah. I like, and this is 
all like you said earlier about drip feeding. I don't think we got the heart rate monitors to the second year of the program, mostly okay. because obviously the, the, the lower funding. number of players yeah. funding, right? I think we started with five, I think, and then we only put them on. Uh, so if we went away, am I right in thinking we had five when we went to Denmark maybe? And we put them on certain players that we wanted to really kind of have a look at. And then we'd make sure that there was obviously every player got a go on it. Um, yeah. but we kind of made better ideas of people at that point who may be going to European championships and stuff like that. So for me, we everyone everyone got to wear one at least once right but obviously mm-hmm. if players are going to play more minutes then they probably should wear them and stuff like that but uh um it's the athlete's mentality is always you know for the most part like you know they, they'd always want to, to improve they always want to be if they actually care right yeah if yeah they actually that's care. the biggest thing um yeah and some of them do some of them don't so you've got to be very careful not only that you, what information you, you give them but how you educate them on that information because certain players will go, oh, some players have a really good game, really easy game, and have a low heart rate, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, yeah, so yeah. it comes back to that GPS and being out of position versus being in position. Um, and now GPS works really, really well, but it's like, once again, do you understand what you're looking at? Are you looking at total distance? Uh, what, why are you looking at total distance? It's like, are you looking at it because oh, I, my, my coach told me that I need to run 10K a game? Or did my coach mm. say to you, okay, well, in your position, and I don't know anything about Gaelic football, right, or mm. anything like that, even though I grew up yeah. in Kerry. No, I have no idea, right? Um, <laughs> All the people but, from Kerry won't be impressed now. They'll be uh, like, oh, finish, turn it don't off. Worry, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry about that. My accent already says I don't know anything about <laughs> Gaelic football. Um, but, like, it could be, like, how many high-speed runs did you do? Did you yeah. did you perform more high-speed runs? Well, the position that we have data on for you over 10 years says most of the time, if you're having a tough game, you're going to be doing these many high-speed runs. So I wanted to talk to you about, um, we kind of had a little bit of chat before uh, about non-negotiable and I sent that video, it's on Frank Lampard on the High Performance Podcast. If anyone hasn't seen it, you should go You should go watch it. But it was kind of that non-negotiable, non-acceptable behaviours of players in a high-performing culture. Yeah, yeah. And the, 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 my, my thing is, I don't think anything is non-negotiable. I really yeah. don't, um, okay. which is a, probably a weird thing to say because we talk about all the things that we need from players to create the culture. But at the end of the day, and now this goes to more to overage senior players than it does underage players, right? Life is all about negotiation, right? In any yeah. aspect of it. Now, of course, you're going to not have, there's going to be certain things that are, give you some, something's illegal or blatantly, mm. of course, that is non-negotiable, but that's probably yeah. not what we're, we're talking about the okay there's still behaviors but we're talking about what's probably going to impact the performance rather than put them in jail right you know yeah. um so that's more about the the non-acceptable behaviors yeah you know what i mean because yeah, 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 like yeah. for example if you're with let's say carl's team just an example i don't know who's setting what but carl would nearly or the, the coaching staff would set like there's the, the rules of basketball have those non-negotiables because it's illegal mm-hmm. to to travel for example right, but carl right. would put out the non-acceptable behaviors that we're going to have as a team like for example frank lampard spoke about hard work his first thing was work or was it work ethic or something he work said ethic, if you're yeah. not working hard see you later yeah um and i disagree <laughs> oh, okay. be i disagree because in the uh in a, if you look back to what john terry said and just keep it on a chelsea vibe right yeah. Eden hazard was their worst trainer by a landslide but yeah really okay was but yet their best player on a saturday so where do you the best yeah. managers find and a that's way what to make he said. sure yeah yeah that's yeah. what that's what he said sorry to cut across he, what he was no, saying no. you kind of have to balance have it yeah. like let's say like his thing was like don't be late to training but if your man shows up 10 minutes late but you're playing in a final on saturday <laughs> you can't be like look we're not playing you because you were 10 minutes late to training and then you throw the match like so now now you're negotiating right yeah, exactly <laughs> so, it's no, so it's no longer a non-negotiable behavior like if somebody is 
an absolute arsehole on a Friday evening and can and you know like everyone's been in teams where people argue and stuff like that mm. and maybe people cross the line if it's really important for them to play on the Saturday everyone's got to suck it up and go for a play on the Saturday right <laughs> because it, it, at the highest level right I mean yeah of course uh, it's different for every stage yeah obviously. when, when yeah. you're younger levels you're trying to form human beings as well as just athletes right that's a huge yeah. thing that people forget you know, uh, a physio once said to me, he doesn't deal with injuries, he deals with human beings. And that's very, very true. I like that, right? yeah. Um, Pendulum Physio, actually, in Northern Ireland, should probably give him a shout out. Um, he's got a good podcast too, actually. Happy oh, Healthy good humans. to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I like. I don't think anything is non-negotiable. Non-acceptable, for sure. Uh, yeah. Non-negotiable. Like even people, they, you know, he talked about work ethic and respect. Okay, I mean, yes, respect on the pitch, is, is very important but I, I I've worked in teams where people hated each other did not respect each other but were still mm. successful um and once again it's not the highest level that I've worked in or anything like that but I've seen it right and I, mm. I, I think that a, a respect for how good someone is is not maybe a respect for them as a person so when when and Frank Lampard is an absolute genius and has is been around high performance his whole life and has some very interesting things to say in it um, and I'm not disagreeing with a single word he said because work ethic is super important. Mm. But is it non-negotiable? I don't think so. I think it's very negotiable. Um, yeah. The, the only thing you will see is someone like Eden Hazard, who's now moved to Real Madrid and is constantly injured. But is that because there wasn't the work ethic that was yeah. he needed to sustain his career properly? Yeah, because the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if he wasn't pushing himself, there you go. So because <laughs> if he wasn't pushing himself in the pitch, maybe was he not pushing himself in the weight room? And does that mean he wasn't strong enough? I know you can't yeah. prevent injuries, but if you're stronger, you might. You can definitely reduce the risk of injuries. Yeah. I could tell you that exactly. right now. I, like there, there is a lot you can do to reduce the risk of an injury, but yeah. you cannot prevent it. I yeah. mean, I. Uh, had an athlete like I mean so many athletes that you you do so much ankle stability work especially basketball players and all this kind of stuff they go up for a layup they land and they land on someone else's foot who's also at a weird position and you can have okay they get stronger and over time does it prevent the injury maybe prevents the length of the injury okay right they can recover a little bit faster because they were able to absorb more force on the way down because they're stronger Mm. or be able to produce more force on the way up but does it prevent injury? Nothing prevents injury. You can get yeah. in a car crash in the morning. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> there's, like... there's a good one, actually. Sorry, because you just mentioned there about the ankle thing. Mm. ACL, yes, mm-hmm. you can strengthen everything mm-hmm. around the ACL, but if you do, you're you still going to tear your ACL. But I remember I was chatting to someone and uh, or I was listening to... I can't remember. I get so confused with listening yeah, yeah. to everything and chatting to people. But it was... um, They had torn their ACL, but because they had their muscles in such good shape they could go to surgery straight away. Because you know the way if you do, um, if you tear your ACL, you have to build it up and then go for surgery. Yeah. But <laughs> again, it depends, right? So I you, you, you I worked with a guy for a nine-month ACL rehab who was in amazing shape. Yeah. Um, actually was one of the few Gaelic footballers I ever worked with. But he had lost so much muscle mass because he was waiting on a surgery. So why was he waiting on a surgery uh, I can't I can't remember exactly what the reason was but that was a real hard rehab for him because yeah. he he was and I don't know if you know of course you know Brianna she was on last week yeah she was on takeover yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she uh she'll give you more information on that because she's really in the heart of it of building back to levels of what they need to do between you know their left and right leg if they have torn on yeah. ACL to, I think she was talking about 10 percent is what she was saying they need to get back to or okay. using the nice kinetic strength machine or whatever you know whatever they use up there um, and movements and stuff like that but yeah, of course, it, it, you know, 
there's a point of diminishing returns in everything in life. Mm -hmm. But if you're stronger, faster, and can move better, you're going to be more efficient with your energy, which probably means that you're going to be less tired, less fatigued in the brain, which means you're probably going to be better at the skill of your sport. Your overwhelming memory capacity is, uh, is going to be in a better position mm -hmm. if you're not fatigued, right? Um, yeah doesn't mean it's going to prevent injury <laughs> exactly yeah no exactly uh, i want to ask you about that actually in any of the teams you were involved in it doesn't have to be carl's team it could be any of them were there any of those like specific non-acceptable behaviors or values that the team had and how were they implemented yeah it's a good it's a good question yeah uh to from me not nothing was ever from, from in any snc point I, I can't really speak for carl um mm. there was definitely also you know like it's a bit different when you're dealing with underage players because they're late because maybe their parents didn't get out of bed in time or you know there was you know traffic on a lot of it's traveling a lot of long way to yeah. go um but like yeah i mean i remember i was working with a team once and it was paddy's day and we were uh we were training on Paddy's day and then the next night the, all, all the players mm. put in their session log reports or whatever and they had three or four hours of sleep and we were meant to be training again the next day right you know, <laughs> you know, I was like what are they up like that might be a non-negotiable non-acceptable kind of behavior you might put in that's uh but mm. at the same time as long as they get a training session in and no one gets injured ugh, look, they're allowed to have fun too they're not they're not professional athletes yeah exactly when it comes to underage you're probably like like I said you're trying to form good patterns that's going to help them when they yeah. go into their senior career whether that ends up in basketball whether that ends up with females getting a d1 scholarship and going over or a d2 scholarship whatever they can achieve right then go over to america and you want them to have an idea of what is acceptable what is yeah. non-negotiable say or yeah. negotiable right uh, and yeah. that's what you're doing uh, but that would all be run by by carl but for me like i, I give you an example i always wanted the snc stuff within the international weekends to be a little bit of a break from the serious stuff for them because mm -hmm. You know, I want them to come over, have a laugh and not be overly concerned about, you know, I'm never going to, I'm a pretty calm, relaxed coach as it is. I'm never going to shout at anyone. I'm never going to, never going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to talk to you like you're a bit and just have some fun. Right. Because yeah. they have, they have so many stressful scenarios going on, on the skill side of the sport. If I'm yeah. adding to their stress and anxiety, that is once again, it's like malpractice. Right. And it, probably times that you do, because I know players feeling sick about having to do so nervous about having to do fitness testing right and then you would see certain players we'd all got them to put their heart rate monitors on when we're doing the fitness testing to get their aerobic capacity and can match it back to their maximal heart rate and stuff like this and see where they fell but we i used to start realizing why don't i just put them on from the start of the fitness testing and seeing whose heart rate spikes when they went go up do a test in front of everybody or a cmj and you see certain players that get really high heart rate zones doing something that shouldn't cause a heart rate zone because they're so anxious about well, what okay. they're doing right yeah, um, yeah i know yeah. that kind of goes off whatever we were just saying but it's yeah it's, no but that's so it, that's aspects, interesting right? yeah because you don't you don't particularly maybe think of those like you've mm. like as a coach like i'm lucky i'm i'm coaching gaelic football at an underage mm. level and because i'm a gay uh, like i play gaelic football and i've played right. underage i kind of understand that you know as a player when i'm whatever age they are do i want to be called out in front of everyone mm. and demonstrate like it could be the coach could see that as a really good thing like i want to dem demonstrate a solo you're brilliant at solo let's demonstrate to everybody but I, inside i could be like oh god i have to to do this in front of everyone and like you were saying that could show up on a heart rate monitor like that's crazy yeah yeah and like you know anxiety is a real thing right anxiety is a real thing <laughs> you know yeah. like um like people you know they they 
I always give an example. People go, oh, I, I took two weeks off from running and then I felt so unfit. And I go, no, you're not unfit. You didn't lose all your aerobic capacity in two in weeks. In two weeks. You're like, oh, shit, I haven't run in two weeks. But I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I can't do this. It's horrible when your heart rate spikes. And then that's why you're a little bit more tired, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I always wish, there's one thing I always wish I could see. I don't know if you remember in, I think it was 2016, Mo Farah fell over during his either 10,000 or 5,000 meter yeah. race that he won yeah. golden. And I would love to see how he controlled that heart rate because he, he did like a full roly-poly and got back up again. And it was towards the end of the race. I would think that must have spiked his heart rate. And yeah. when you're talking about the finest lines of heart rate um, training and, you know, a 10,000 meter or 5,000 meter, that's going to be them, right? Um, that's yeah. something I'd always wish I'd seen. But yeah, it all has okay. its place. Right. Yeah, well, well, he's a good guest to get on your podcast. Uh, yeah, 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 maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. And it, talking about kind of players and that kind of, you can't really measure maybe the psychological side sometimes. Would, in your experience, would it have been much worry about injury with certain players or would that just tend to be with the players that have been injured before? So, yeah, I think the number one, you, you hit now on the head, the number one thing, mm-hmm for re-injuries is, is you know for injuries re-injury right usually right mm-hmm. um and that's why the the first things we ever done and I, I, there's so many things that you could talk about it all day right but there's so many things mm-hmm. that go into it psychologically yeah i think so um but also there is the, the, both sides to that i think there's certain players at certain age groups at senior right down to underage that don't mind being injured on the big events because there's no pressure on them anymore or you know if we're doing a three-day international camp you might see a player start to look at it on the on a Saturday evening, and I, I'm not saying that this actually happened, but I, you know, obviously I'm not saying this actually happened, but it could have mm. happened, right? It, yeah. In, in quotation marks, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. you don't know, right? You can't measure that psychologically, but some of them would rather sit out the the game against each other in front of all their parents, maybe on a on a Sunday evening, right? Because mm. they don't want to be shown up, and okay, they can not. I don't think there's everything's psychological, right? Everything's subjective. But they can mm. they can lean on that crutch a little bit if someone's had an ACL, and some players are the complete opposite, and that comes down to literally like you said, you can't really measure psychological stuff. Um, if you could, you'd make a lot of money, I think. Yeah, do, no, uh, you would. People do try, would. but um, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, I don't even think you could really measure effort to be honest. So I don't know. I don't know. How do those players that kind of get over that like and just like, I'm thinking of you won't know her but there's a Gaelic there's an example of a Gaelic footballer and she came back better than she was before okay how do this like I'm sure you might know if it's someone in a different sport that's done that how do they combat that and how do they go out and not have that little voice in the back of their head oh don't do that because you're going to do the, you're going to do your ACL again you know what I mean yeah yeah some people take it as time lost is the biggest motivator right mm. and some people go I can and you know end of the day <laughs> If you have a solid rehab and you have good people around you and you have enough data, that will ease your anxiety or it could boost your anxiety, you know, but Mm. if you have no information, say if you, I, uh, I know a girl, I don't know her personally, actually an ex-girlfriend of mine was a soccer player and she was telling me about, um, about this girl who tore ACL on her left leg, tore ACL on her right leg, and then tore ACL again on the left leg. I think I know who you're talking about. This she plays for Ireland. Um, uh, this this girl Rihanna... in America. So oh, never not. mind. <laughs> yeah. oh, but there's a girl so, who plays for Ireland that okay. has a very similar story to that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, the, the one thing I found interesting was like the first thing you think of is like, oh shit, rehab, right? Yeah. Definitely shit rehab. But then yeah. her, this girl's mum was a physical physio and a flex therapist for a really high level team in America. So yeah. the, the, I, I'm assuming the rehab was at least 
of a decent Wouldn't standard. It, yeah, decent enough. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd hope so, right? <laughs> it's like you know, not giving a shit about your kids, right? But um, <laughs> it, it's in. It's and I could be also misremembering that story a little bit. It's been yeah. a long time, but uh, that was it. Always stood with me with like, you cannot. You can just reduce the risk of injury. That's all you can do. And if you can, if you can get the players educated through you know, having a decent sports psychologist who deals with those kind of issues with them. Once again, completely out of my realm, to be honest. That's yeah. got to be done at every stage. And I think I actually asked um, Brianna about this when she was on my podcast. I had a similar question that you just did. Um, I have seen players come back stronger. For sure, I have. Mm. I've seen some really, really, really... I've seen players who I would have maybe... And this is a terrible thing to say, but like flaky psychologically, you know, as a... Yeah. As a, yeah. I mean, that can happen. Everyone everyone has their stages. Mm. Um get stronger from it and become better players because yeah. you mature yeah. you mature yeah. when you're injured whether it's yeah. through not like watching your peers play and be like god i really need to you know buckle up here and, and put the work in and get back but what was it you've you've seen those players come back stronger why mm. did, how did they come back stronger what do they do there's a there's a few things uh obviously that like we said their rehab's really important uh, their yeah. commitment to rehab their, their understanding of the time they've now lost in relation to what they need to do to tie it back a big thing that people don't talk about is when you're on the sidelines a lot right you probably get a almost a, a completely different perspective of the game you do right? if you're if you're totally. a high level player like and you hear yeah. what the coach is trying to implement but you're also seeing why it's not happening because you're you know you're not very single minded you see the team so whether that's you know that's what probably makes for me makes the biggest difference i think i mean that you know i can remember sitting with a girl who had a slight Achilles issue, I think, I could, once again, can't remember what, what tool, and there's been so many, uh, but she said, I never understood, one of the things, it's always to be shocked, I never understood what my coach was trying to say until I was out, and she was telling me, I heard her say to someone else, go, oh, that's what she meant, <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. No, I know what you're saying, as I was saying, because I'm coaching, but injury is kind of, when you're in it, when you're a player, you kind of have this like tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. When you're injured, it's kind of, you can start to look maybe, in the side mirrors but when you're coaching like if you look at it out of the car you can see at the front you can see the side mirrors and you can see the rear view mirror mm. you can see everything you've nearly got a full 360 view and yeah, for yeah. me even if i never step foot again and never play sport again which at the moment i'm not putting myself under pressure to do because that's how i'm coping with my injury um i know i will be a better player because i have that bigger view and i don't i'm not saying i know everything but right. i can hear the coach say do this and now I understand why and I'm not in my head like what is he going on about why would I pass it that way you know what I mean yeah 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 no it's, it's so true and like like I said it all comes back to having the right people around you right yeah. so a decent sports psychologist a decent rehab guy but it none of that makes as much of a difference you know to actually being really good at your sport right mm. and being exceptional and having an understanding a deep understanding of your sport and I think that might be we all get caught up in the nitty gritty of trying to do everything when you have like marginal gains versus maximal gains. Right. Um, And something like that could have a way bigger impact than all the rehab. Of course they have to get back on the pitch. Of course they get back on the court. Of course. But for the most part that will happen. You know, if they're at a decent standard, they'll get the rehab they deserve. Right. Not everywhere, but for the most part, I think there's a lot to be said for getting a better understanding of the game from a different perspective and being able to take coaching cues on during a game in high tense high pressurized environments that are going to make you a better player for sure yeah definitely definitely i agree with you there i want to ask a little bit about the the snc we've touched on a bit of it mm-hmm. uh, as a nation or i don't want to be specific to basketball okay. 
Um, yeah. Are we behind in SNC? How are we kind of? I know you said your your brother works in Australia. You know, they always say like obviously the professionals know like they have the top current stuff, and by the time the likes of me get it, it's old. It's it's right. they're already moved on to the next thing. Where is Ireland in that sort of SNC spot? Yeah. Um, do you know what? It it's miles better, miles better. Even from when I. You know, I always give the example of when I started out on my college degree, it was almost impossible to get a foam roller. Do you know what I mean? Oh, gosh, <laughs> like, it, right. like I remember, and now they're uh, like, don't use foam every, rollers. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, and that, that's it. Everything's very cyclical, but we will never catch up as a nation to places where they have really good high school systems, right? Yeah. Because yeah. there's, I don't know if you've, um, you, you won't, there's a guy called Kelvin Flat, who's the rugby shrimp coach or whatever. And he did this interesting thing about measuring all the combine numbers for the NFL. Yeah. and how much of an impact does that actually have on them who who makes the hall of fame who yeah. has amazing careers and very little but really they okay. are like entry-level requirements to be able to play in the league you yeah. know yeah and what yeah, the yeah. difference is between places like america canada and maybe america is always the fourth leading best place to be when it comes to snc is that they have better performance cultures from an early age that set mm-hmm. players up to meet those entry requirements where we are always chasing our tail a little bit now mm. i haven't done a whole lot of work or have a whole lot of idea of what goes on in the four provinces in, in ireland yeah. and rugby but that would be the closest to it for sure okay yeah yeah and double ga for sure as well <laughs> they've got some stuff going on <laughs> right right um but yeah there it's a professional environment and even like there's other counties as well like you look around the country and the facilities some of them have are just out of this world like and it's 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 amateurs playing at a professional level and training at a professional level or not maybe not professional but very very close to it if very not. close to it very close to it and that we will never catch up as a country but you know why not try it you know I mean? yeah exactly. uh, but it comes to it being sustainable and reliable once again and being able to yeah. take i remember when i i took a job in just before I was coming to Canada so maybe late 2018 yeah and I was trying to set up a, a system within regional basketball in, in Munster about having an SNC coach to be at every training session that the regional squads were having together mm. so that they I don't even know I should have been doing that but it was anyway um I was trying to I don't know what that was out I was asked to do it by the person who was the head coach okay. I, don't, I don't know what happened there I don't, I don't know what my role was technically but I was asked okay. to do that right so I did it um, and it, I couldn't really find anyone to commit to the time because like no one could have really afforded to, you know, like if you're a college student, you can't get someone who's fully qualified SNC coach to work at a regional academy. You can't yeah. afford them. Um, yeah. And if you're yeah. a college student, it has to be worth more your more of your time and money than it is to pay for your college, right? Yeah. So if, if you could get a day job or in a bar or something at the weekend, which means that you can't be out at 8 a.m. on a basketball court on a Sunday morning, then that's mm-hmm. where it drops down, right? And mm-hmm. I finally got a person to come in and do some stuff, but then I actually end up myself just going and doing the majority of it, right? Because I yeah. felt invested in the project. Um, and it wasn't very time efficient or cost effective for me. So it's not sustainable, it's not reliable. And that's why a high performance culture is very, very difficult to do. And we keep going back to basketball. It, you will always find people who will volunteer everywhere. Yeah. But it's identifying your roles and are they good enough at their roles, you know, to start making yeah. it, pushing it along, especially in SNC. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Looking back then, like to that time where you would have been coming out of college and getting involved maybe in that under 20 squad and other bits and pieces what advice would you give to uh, someone who's looking to be in your position now and they're just starting out on their own professional career uh, 
understand <laughs> get rich parents is what i would say if you if i was gonna say anything <laughs> I, I don't come from a lot of money uh, so all, all my all my friends who have the <laughs> i shouldn't say that but that's terrible i should say but like um all my friends that have a lot of money supporting them can go and do the internships can go and spend the time in colleges and states and they can have a better career if yeah. you don't if you're a humble joe or whatever you know figure out how much you really shouldn't say this either but figure how much you really want it yeah. given that much time so i gave from 2014 right through to 2019 wanting to work in high performance setups or high performing setups before I said you know what it's time to go make some money and set up a life for myself now Mm -hmm. and uh, then you have to take a step away if it's something that's really important to you you'll do it like everything in life you know the way you do one thing is the way you do everything right there you Uh, go yeah so if it's really important to you it won't actually be that much of an issue but surround yourself like get people to help you right don't we all do this thing where you know especially I used to pick people up in like Tipperary. I drive up to Mead. I, I'd go to, I went to Dundalk once to pick someone up to help me with fitness testing because my, my mates are all going to be do that for me anyway. They're all S&C coaches, right? Um, get, in, get yourself two coaches in the team. And I know that sounds a bit crazy because we're about to try and get one, but if you can get someone to help you and do a better service and then bounce off each other, it's going to be a lot better. And we all know that like every time you go to college, every time you go anywhere and a club asks you, there's probably some other coach around you that you know who lives close to you. You can jump in a car together, go to training, you can do the, the stats, everything on you together rather than on your own. That's mm-hmm. going to give you, first of all, a fresher approach to all of it and give you someone to bounce ideas off, right? Um, now, you, that can go terribly wrong too. But if I was, I would say as well, they always say, you know, know your worth, right? Know your worth. I almost disagree a little bit, <laughs> to be honest. It's, um, we're not really worth that much right even even at the highest level of sport the SC coach doesn't get anywhere near what the other coaches get right because yeah. it the proof uh what do they say the 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 proof like what well, the no, i can't remember the thing of it but what the success success leaves clues right right yeah. so that, that's oh, what they gosh. say yeah um so if you're at the very highest level and the snc coach isn't getting that much money then realize that you're never going to make that much money at the lowest level yeah in in yeah, a yeah. team setup you might in the private sector and you'd be a really good coach start your own gym and stuff like that but realize that you have to put in hard work nobody's too good for hard work and you yeah. have to sacrifice maybe what you think you're worth a little bit in order to and that's Maybe people are thinking more financially. I actually don't think financially, or I think it's more time that you give, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you might then revert that back to how much you're getting paid per hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a time. It's a time you give. Give more time than maybe you think you're worth. Um, yeah. Or sorry, whatever way that works out, um, and you'll be a better coach for it. But yeah. don't have a don't have a chip on your shoulder because there's 50 other coaches coming out from that same year as you who will do something that you're not willing to do, and you won't get the job yeah so, yeah reduce and, your worth a little bit yeah ex- yeah i know what you, i know what you mean and i something that's that's kind of kept coming up throughout our chat we've kind of talked about but not indirectly was having that team like having that second coach or having like for example with a with a management team yeah y- you know your strengths and weaknesses so what you're going to do is you're going to surround people that have that are their strengths are your weaknesses and i'm going to give you a good quote from james weldon uh, i was chatting to him there Irish senior women's head coach. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. saying uh, his dad always told him at a young age, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room at every aspect of the business. Surround yourself with as much quality people as you can. And that's kind of like, as the, the better support you have, the better network you have, the better you're going to be. Many hands make light work, right? Yeah, yeah, put, definitely. Put together that puzzle and understand your roles, put together that puzzle and it's going to make things a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to pick wisely too, right? Yeah. You have yeah, to pick yeah. wisely. But yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, that's definitely. a great quote. James is a very intelligent man, eh? Yeah, yeah, he is. I've, I've had a couple of conversations with him over WhatsApp about a few different things. But he's is really... he coming on the podcast? Are you going to get he him will, on? I, I will. He's probably <laughs> listening right now. He went to text him. <laughs> oh, no, I will eventually. James, if you're listening, I will get on to you soon. Uh, I want to ask a final question. Um, obviously, not naming people, but if you were to kind of take all of your experience into account, team, individual, anything... What are those, as you said, success leaves cl- leaves clues. Um, what are the common attributes or behaviors or values of the top top elite yeah, yeah. talents um, or players? Yeah, this is this is a great question. I love answering it by just saying being amazing at their sport, right? That's yeah. literally the, but like there's so much more to it. Yeah. I always find it's the players and you know, you can say what uh, an elite player or an elite athlete, right? So I, I work in the world of my, my work is athletes, right? It's not really anything to do with the skills, right? Yeah. So for me, you, you probably have to ask a skills coach for what makes a top elite player. Yeah. What makes a top elite athlete for me is the players that kind of, you know, running that fine line between being extremely athletic, but also durable and able to tolerate load, right? Mm. So they can move faster, they can change direction really fast, they can produce force, absorb force, jump high, but they can also sustain that over a period of time mm. and not get injured. Um, and I think that we go back to energy leaks and stuff like that and not being tired it, it i think that then in turn helps the ability to make effective and efficient decisions mm. right you're no longer you're not fatigued to no end because you'd be very inefficient with your energy as an athlete which mm. you see um but then that you could switch that around and you could go well they're being very efficient with their energy because they're making effective and effect- efficient decisions because they're better at their sport so it goes both ways a big thing I would say if there was any kind of, I'm not one to give advice. I'm the most unathletic person in the world, honestly. I'm not one to give, haven't achieved anything in my life really, athletically. Um, um, but focus on, people get too caught cool up on the, the marginal 1% gains when there's so many 10 to 15% gains to be made in your performance. Um, and that's, I think the best players do that, honestly. I think the okay. best players or the most, and I hate, I shouldn't say the word player because once again, it's not it's not my realm. My realm mm-hmm. is athletes. Uh, but the athletes, the best athletes always do that too. They, they might see that the weakest part of their thing is they have terrible sprint technique mm-hmm. where they might be very aerobic. So then that's up to the s coach to plan that, but the player still has to do it. And if you can get a 10% gain in what your te- sprint technique is, regardless of how much faster that makes you, does it make you less energy? I, I like the word energy leaks. I like the two words energy leak. Like you're not leaking energy as much. Yeah, I like um, that as well yeah yeah 10% gains versus 1% gains especially at an Irish level don't yeah. get too caught up in the 1% things you can get when there's so yeah, many yeah. bigger things you can I actually got that I just I stole that a little bit from Andrew Gill he's always said that to me and okay. I, the first it's funny talk about buying the first thing Andrew Gill ever said to me and Andrew's quite a close friend of mine now and I've worked with him quite a bit and we used to actually uh, lecture together on the coaching battle to develop okay. the coaching badges years ago. Um, he said, I don't believe in SNC in Irish basketball. And I was like, <laughs> me a bit wet behind the ears, like 19 years ago. What the fuck do you mean you don't believe in SNC in Irish basketball? But what he meant is like exactly what we're saying today, right? Yeah. Is it sustainable? Can you achieve it? Is it necessary? Well, if it's necessary and it's going to be done, it has to be done at a good level. Um, can you do that? And that's what he meant. It's not what he said. And if anyone's yeah. ever met Andy, will know that he doesn't always come across in the most precise way, you know. But uh, yeah, and that's that's the only bit of advice. And I should I shouldn't give any advice. I'm yeah, the least that's right. in the world. But yeah, no, I like I like that answer, and I'm going to give my two cents on it even as well, even though I, sh- I I don't have the credentials to say it. But I think it's the top players as well. They recognize what their weaknesses are, and that's only the first step to it because 
I've been guilty of as well. All you want to do is go out and, it, for example, if you're going for a kicking session or if you're going to shoot um, for basketball or whatever, you're going to go to your high your high percentage shots because you want to feel good about yourself. You want to be like, oh, this is great. The first step is, right, I'm really bad at dribbling my left hand or my right hand. God, I really need to work on that. And I, and I think the top players have that and they don't only just know what they, they're bad at because everybody could know what they're bad at, but they go about it and make that weakness one of those weaknesses and kind of move it from that column of weaknesses to strengths. Right, right, right. For sure. That's literally it. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? And, you know, you just said you didn't have the credentials to say that. Well, you did, because you did that, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. And that's what I say when I go earlier. Players know a lot, right? They know an awful lot. They know a lot what goes on, right? And now you're a coach as well now, right? But yeah, they're the ones who are playing the sport. And I know that kind of contradicts what we said, uh, contradicts, sorry, what we said earlier about um, about when you're injured and you see more. It's both sides to it, right? Yeah, It's both exactly. sides to it, for sure. Yeah, and even the credentials, sometimes, as you said, you could have all the credentials, <laughs> but sometimes, let's say if you're on the side of the pitch or the court, if you have all those pieces of paper, the best thing you can do, you know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. You can rip them up. It doesn't matter. If yeah. you can't get the message to your team, mm-hmm. who cares if you're level 20, whatever, coaching course or whatever yeah. badge you have, like, it doesn't really matter. Needs show, yeah. Needs <laughs> nothing, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to move on to sideline seven. It's the same seven questions for every guest. Uh, question one is, what is your favourite quote? So I'm cheating a little bit. I have two favourite quotes, right? Oh, it's uh, right. One, I'll, I'll one, is a, one is a very new one. Um, one is, uh, I don't know if I did a, a friend of mine who's a really good sales coach. Uh, he said, a business about sales is just a hobby. And I was like, you're dead right. I was like, and it's a good thing for coaches to hear. Yeah. You can have the best Instagram. You can have the most, you know, it looks great. You're ripped. You, you know, you do really good interesting exercises. But if you're not changing that to money, <laughs> then you're not building a career for yourself. You're just having yeah. a hobby of, you know, your hobby is the thing you got your degree in, right? Which it shouldn't be, right? Your career should be what you got your degree in for the most part. Um, and that's from a coach's perspective. And then the second one is, uh, I, I'm a big MMA fan, a big Michael Bisping fan. You probably have no idea who that is, but he's a no. fighter from Manchester. <laughs> um, and when he, he was like a, he's a bit of a, like, you know, he had one of the toughest roads to a world title you ever see and, you know, end up mm-hmm. losing one eye and all this stuff. But oh, I've always been very interested in, in, uh, in what his coach did to change him later in his career to make him more effective. And yeah. one of the things he says is it takes confidence to take a day off right so yeah i'm gonna rob that with, as well yeah take it yeah yeah uh it's really important because it, it encompasses everything right in any aspect of life but for a player you have to have some confidence to be able to take that rest day we talked about earlier players only generally want to overwork um mm. and so then you have to build that psychological aspect of it as well as the physical aspect so they're my two i know it's cheating to have two i'm sorry no it's all right i'll, I'll take it no problem okay. i love i love a good quote but yeah uh, yeah no and that's something that i remember hearing a good it was a couple of a couple of years ago I don't know if you know him Devin Williams he does um if there's someone listening who's big into basketball they probably know he does that series 10,000 hours yeah. really interesting and I remember it, it's funny because you kind of he's a basketball trainer now but he started off just randomly in a local gym or whatever and two kids came up and they were like will you train us or whatever and he was all about hard work hard work hard work and they did three a days and all this stuff and he kind of then he said it himself like he's he's developed and learned and loads and loads of stuff but he had it up I think it's a story or video and it doesn't matter and he was saying sometimes working hard is having a rest day and doing your icing and doing your different things and doing your journaling and not being up doing three days at running hills and run running yourself ragged for sure yeah yeah it's so true that there's so mm. many so many players and so many people look at like 
I hate to use Tiger as an example of what he was doing to himself with his marine training and the effect this had in his career. And obviously, the effect of the car crash on him had him too. He says probably way more dramatic, right? But mm. there, is, there is players that, yeah, you know, it takes confidence to take a day off for sure. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, question two, best sporting event you've been to? Yeah, so growing up, um, I'm a Mill football uh, club fan. I don't know if you know Mill. Uh, they're a second division team in England. No. <laughs> uh, anyone who's ever known anything about hoodlism will know about Mill. And, and okay. I'm obviously an English soccer fan. So hasn't been a whole lot of sporting events that I've been to that have been amazing. Mm-hmm. And it'll, it'll, I'll go back to, I was very young, I was only nine years old at the time, and I went to the FA Cup semi-final it was on in Old Trafford at the time because Wembley was being rebuilt and we played Sunderland and okay. I, I don't know if you know anything about soccer but uh, Tim I, know, I know a little bit about that yeah yeah Tim Cahill scored uh, for me well he went on to play for Everton and have every record in the book as an Australian soccer player um, and it's the only time but that's probably just says more to my choice of teams that I support <laughs> <laughs> that is the only really positive event that I've ever been to so it, had, it was an easy enough choice to be honest and then we went on to get smashed by Man United 3-0 in the final and uh, it was one of them coming out uh, it was, was short yeah Cristiano Ronaldo's first season and I was like yeah it's right, okay. not great yeah, yeah not that's great. good no, that, that's good uh, biggest setback or challenge so far in your career it's got to be COVID it's got Pretty. right yeah 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 because everything else is um is minute in the fact that the, the world shut down and you can't work <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? uh, yeah. like especially we were we were hitting really good momentum with our business over here just before mm. it all happened and i had just been promoted into the role that i'm in now mm. uh, which was you know it was a nice thing to, to be part of and things were going well closes down and then the the reopening and reclosing of, of gyms and facilities yeah. and stuff like that is one of the most stressful times of my life i swear to god like yeah. you know the amount of work that goes in to keep something open and then like they, i remember there was one time here in november they let us open for one week and then shut us down again when the cases were, were didn't even move so it was like they just were trying to do something yeah and i remember the amount of work that me and the owner of the business put into getting you know you think about it, two thousand members of our facility right mm. each one of them have a different payment date you now need to move uh, 90 yeah. something training clients or whatever all have payment dates the amount of work and talking to people and all this kind of stuff for five days we hired new staff because they had to be supervised and they shut us down they opened us on the monday shuts on the friday <laughs> and I was, it was Gosh, like it's yeah. yeah it's a i'd say it you know it's almost like a challenge i think challenge is the wrong word because we have no real control over it it's, it's a it's a setback right yeah. the challenge will be when we finally get the reopen consistently so i would say it's more of a setback than an actual challenge if that makes sense yeah no i, I like i like the way you put that that was interesting um out of interest actually for i don't really know what's been going on in canada i know with ireland it's sort of similar like they're open and shut now it wasn't within five days that they were opening and shutting but yeah. what, it, it, talk us through the timeline of the gyms over there what oh. what have they been kind of saying to you or since march really what have the openings kind of been like so we closed on march 17th which was like or 16th whatever it was the same as everyone around the world last year we yeah. then reopened on august 4th um okay. so that was a five month stint then reclosed us on august so october 10th Reclose okay. and you know, you know I know these off the top of my head, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're doing some paperwork about yeah. it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And we were then we were allowed to do some one-on-one training for a little bit, like just PT or like just rehab yeah. stuff. Um, and then they opened us. I think it was November 11th and closed us on November 16th, and we've been closed since. Um, now right. we're uh, we have a physiotherapy yeah. department with me and a guy actually from Galway. Uh, I should give him a shout out, James. Uh, oh, okay. James, 
because uh, we both have master's degrees, we can be do some physiotherapy work over here and be be involved in that world. So it's okay. kind of we we're doing that right now, but that yeah. is all we can do literally. There's nothing else, right. and no no end in sight right now. <laughs> so right, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of on the flip side, then a bit more positive. Uh, your biggest <laughs> achievement on or off the I have court written, but. I don't know, like for yeah, S&C, outside the yeah, gym, yeah, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that, right? Yeah. Um, do you know what? I think achievements are a really weird thing, right? I don't know if that's like always being involved in sport. Like an achievement would be winning European championships or winning yeah. whatever, because that's actually you're achieving something, right? Yeah. Um, in my head, and I may be a super pessimistic and super self-critical, right? <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely am, to be fair. But like, I'm proud of like certain things in my career, but I don't necessarily see them as achievements. And as I said earlier, I'm physically useless right so yeah. uh, but I then stuff like I, I you know I think achievements like I said I think they're weird there's stuff that I'm proud of I, I was very happy to be coaching two Irish under age female what teams at 21 years of age right was I yeah. wasn't ready to do it probably not but I was glad I was doing it I'm excited yeah. about the podcast that I run I'm glad that that gets traction and people like that um but achievements oh, I once, I once won a, a silver medal playing uh, soccer for LIT in my final year of college. <laughs> That's probably the highest I ever we'll, got. We'll put that one down. Uh, but I'm <laughs> interested to hear, I like the way you kind of said achievement there. And do you have a particular definition of success then? Oh, because no. It's, no, no, I do not. No, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I think success is relative, right? Like, um, yeah. I do not. And that you could talk people use different things to intrinsically motivate themselves right yeah uh, i don't really even think too much extrinsic motivation uh, exists i think it's all inside your own brain whether you want yeah. to do something or not do something right yeah um so for me success would only be probably when i'm looking back in 25 years time but mm. then that's that's just talking about me right i mean if you if you are saying what was that season successful well, what was your key performance indicators or what was your objectives at the start of it? Did you meet them? That's the definition yeah. of success in that kind of sporting world. But yeah, for me, but that's just because I live in, <laughs> I live in a world of, of athletic development, which isn't as black and white as winning and losing a game. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Maybe that's what different. we like to tell ourselves. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Would it be different now? Like, for example, if I had James Wilder on, he could give me, like, I don't know what he's going to say, but he could maybe give a more definitive answer because well I don't know what he does but like you know what I mean because he's a coach yeah, there's yeah. more winning and losing with a team yeah, rather yeah. than developing them in terms of S&C and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um looking back what advice would you give your 18 year old self um I this is a, you know I wouldn't I probably wouldn't I in, in relation to my career probably nothing probably like okay. just do 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 whatever you do because at 18 I didn't know anything anyway and I was just tape. but what I would say it was I would just party more at college I'd have okay. more fun and I party yeah. anyone who knows me knows I partied an awful lot to be honest um but like I mean I would go back and enjoy it because now that I'm getting older and I'm, I'm only 25 but like you know partying is changing a little bit I miss all my yeah. mates and um, there's no parties with COVID anyway no parties with COVID I'll tell you that Jesus um and then fake it until you make it right I think I one of my lecturers said that to me when I was about 20 years old when I was starting to get somewhere in traction in basketball he said fake it like if you don't know act the bravado and, and don't let them know you don't know but then be willing to have the chat with them in private right or whatever I would say just be be it's easy to say that though right it's easy to say have more confidence in the way you do things but you only gain that confidence from doing those things and learning from them so you know advice to party more that's the only advice I give to my eaters, party so. more that's a good one that's gonna look really good when I do the show notes for this just yeah. party more <laughs> yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah um dream dinner guest and why 
So yeah, this is a this was the hardest one I had, right? Because a dinner guest, I don't know, right? Okay. I actually don't know. Uh, what I would like to do is, and this is this is a terrible lead on from the party more. I would like to meet someone like Paul Gascoigne, George Best, Diego Maradona, and go on a three day bender with them and find out what people are actually like. Do you know what I mean? Like rather than sitting there with like a, a you know an after dinner speaker prepped kind of guy yeah. who's going to give you a little bit of what you, I want to go out. I want to have some fun. I want to see what people are actually like and find out some real stories. Okay. So I, if I was going to pick one of them, obviously I'm English, so I'd have to go Gaza and probably not not the best person to be associating yourself with, right? Yeah. But uh, that's, that's why I've gone. Right. I might I might change the question now. Who would you go on a three day bender with? Do, do, go do, to dinner? Do. You'll get a better. You'll probably get like a more interested answer, right? Oh God. It's the one. It's like the one that I struggle with the most. It's like I don't know if I want to sit down and have a dinner with someone who's probably not going to tell me all the truth anyway right that's yeah. my cynical mindset but if we go out yeah. and have some beers and have some fun and you know get one of these loose cannons i'm always interested about the best players who can can go against the grain right can party can do it all and still george best paul gasco now it doesn't last but i'm always interested in what it was like in those years right okay um, yeah so that's probably right. what it would be maybe not the yeah. answer you were thinking of but i'm sorry no no uh, that final question then, and I, I feel you're going to give me a different sort of answer to this again, this one again. But uh, if your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Yeah, this is. I had to ask a couple of friends about this. Yeah, it, uh, it stumps everybody. I'm considering nearly yeah. getting rid of it because nobody has no, an no, answer. No, great. No, it's a great question. Uh, I, have, I have a lot of friends who work in film and stuff yeah. over here because Toronto's quite a big film place, and I was asking yeah. them. And they were, do you know what? It, someone gave me a really, really good and once again you asked me the question and i asked someone else so is it my answer i don't know but like yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, avoiding stagnation right the whole world is standing still and i'm trying so hard to not stand still with it so that's yeah. the way i would look at it right it's like I trying like to that. set myself aside and do something that's at least positive and productive in this time when it's very hard to if that makes sense yeah yeah um, definitely Pod- the podcast is a great example i have to say i, I might rob that for my title because uh, I'm avoiding stagnation because I'm doing a podcast. You know what I mean? Exactly, I'm learning right. while well, I'm trying to learn from different people. Yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to. Well, that, that's my whole podcast. <laughs> no, I, I'm more meant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean for you. I just meant I don't know if I'm. If people are giving me great learnings, but I don't know if I'm taking it in. Though, you know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. But yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good answer. I like that. And I have to say, I didn't come up with that question. So full credit to the podcast I stole it from because okay, it wasn't okay. mine. So okay, you can take enough. it as out well if you want. <laughs> yeah, for sure, will. <laughs> <laughs> oh but look Ta- daniel thank you so much for your time geez we're going on an hour and 40 minutes yeah, here, no, but, that's um, no problem. That's no problem. yeah thank you so much and i'll be sure to link everything in the description your podcast your page and Perfect. yeah just just thanks for coming on of course of course thank you so much for having me we'll, we'll, we'll flip it around soon we'll get you on my one and we'll, we'll really go into depths about you know take you out of the, out of the host seat and fit you in the hot we'll seat see. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see we were chatting about that the other day you're putting me under pressure now <laughs> <laughs> we said i mentioned it right of course <laughs> <laughs> oh but look yeah Daniel look thank you so much and we'll definitely keep in touch no problem no problem look after yourself right a massive thank you to Daniel for coming on today there will be links to his social media and his podcast in the description box below let me know over on Instagram your definition of high performance and who you would like to hear from if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you did enjoy the episode be sure to leave a rating and a review if you're interested in starting up your own podcast, be sure to get in touch with the Primal Productions team over on Instagram at Primal Pro.